Welcome to Bethel Brandon Sunday Message. Please head over to our website, BethelBrandon.ca, to figure out how we can best serve you. I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of nervous. I want to try something um, over an extended period of time, and I'm hoping that you will be blessed by this. And uh, I'm going to be sticking with a book, which I believe is one of the most important books of the Bible. And when you do that, sometimes you get into... We, you get into material which I will call hard preaching material, where all of a sudden there's kind of, there's kind of some nuggets in there, but you got to dig a little bit. And sometimes we read through sections of, uh, of Scripture, and we kind of don't think of anything. And there's much being said at the time because we don't recognize what's happening in the culture and, and things like that. And so I wanted to talk uh, and spend a few Sundays uh, speaking about the book of John. And uh, John is a unique book, and it is a deep book, and I'm hoping that somehow you will get something out of it, that there will be something that you will learn, and that God will move. Because God basically, it, 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 John is talking about God's purpose and our purpose in the light of that. That's why many times when you hear people who start reading the Bible, you will hear people say, why don't you start at the book of John? You ever heard that? A lot of people kind of say that. Start at John and then kind of go into the New Testament. The Old Testament is kind of a, a good way to go because there's things in John that, that are important for us, uh, whether you're a new Christian or whether you've been a Christian for a long time, to understand about. And purpose is an important thing, isn't it? I've come to find that. Have you ever lost your purpose? Purpose brings you life. Purpose helps you get out of bed in the morning. It, it gives you meaning and it's inextricably attached to hope. If you see a person who has lost hope, chances are they have lost their purpose as well. And so this is what the book of John is all about. That God had a purpose. And when God had a purpose, it relates to the purpose that you will live out every single day of your life. And this is why this book is important. So as we talk about the book of John, and I'm talking about the gospel of John you will realize really quickly that it is kind of a unique book. And John, when he writes the book, you know one of the funny things is, is that there are so many Johns in the Bible, you almost have to say, okay, which John are we talking about, right? Have you, have you ever found that? Yes, it's true. And, and he mixes things up by talking about John, but he's not talking about himself. He's talking about John the Baptist. And so you kind of might be confused. And the thing is, he doesn't introduce himself. He doesn't even mention his name in the whole book. Neither do any of the Gospels. Have you ever noticed that? Paul, when he's writing, hey, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the Lord Jesus Christ, I beseech you therefore, brethren, all that, right? James, the same thing. But the Gospels, for some reason, don't. And, and John basically says two things about himself. First of all, he says, I am an eyewitness. And this becomes extremely important as we get into the book of John. The other thing that John says as well is when you hear his name and when he talks about himself, he doesn't say John. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Mentioned six different times. And this is kind of something which is common in the literature at that particular time, that they will mention themselves as another person observing as well. And so this is kind of an, an interesting thing because John was, John was different. And that was kind of an interesting thing. He wasn't unconventional like Peter was. Like Peter, man, he was kind of way out there, it seems, didn't it? 
And, and, and John, he, he kind of takes the light in that. But John certainly was not an original guy. And he was particularly known for his passionate faith and love for Jesus. As a matter of fact, in John, when he writes in all of his, his books, four books, five books of the, the New Testament attributed to John, he mentions the love, the, mentions love over 80 times. It is the theme of his life. And he begins to talk about these things. And, he, and the, the thing about him was that he was a, a passionate follower of Jesus. And I believe he gives us some hope as Christians. Because when you passionately love Jesus, it makes you do radical things. That love of Jesus pushes you to do things that fear and dignity would not otherwise keep us from doing. For some reason, we have felt in the church that dignity is a godly thing. I'm not too sure if that's true. It doesn't say, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, dignity. Not in there. It doesn't. It's one time in the Old Testament where David's apparently making a fool of himself, embarrasses his wife. Guys, have you ever done that? When I'm in a movie and something hits me funny, I laugh out loud. And I laugh out loud so loudly that I'm the only one laughing in the theater. Is there anyone out there that are kind of like that? that? That's me. My son is exactly the same way. And my wife gets embarrassed over it. It is like, will you shut up? Nobody, you ever notice that nobody else is laughing at that in the movie? No? Okay. Well, that is something about me. So David says to his wife, when it comes to God, I'll be even more dignified than this. Dignity is there, and love will make you do things which are undignified, and, and we see this in his life. James, or sorry, John is the only one that was unmartyred. He was the only one that died, I believe, of natural causes. Now, there are certain things that, that in history that are unclear, but he certainly lived to an old age. Contrarily-wise, his brother James was the first one to be martyred. Isn't that kind of interesting? And it's not like they didn't try to kill John. If you take a look at tradition and you take a look at some of the things in history and the things that are kind of known within the church, there's a story of the fact that what they tried to do is they tried to, to boil him in oil, in a cauldron. And he creeps out and he survives. They couldn't kill him. So what they do is they throw him off in an island called Patmos. And what he does is instead of dies, he wrote, writes the book of Revelation. Finally, they bring him back. They say, we give up. I'm not too sure exactly how it is. He's known to have a great work in Ephesus. And as he's ending his ministry, he pours into an individual named Polycarp. Becomes one of the biggest influences in the generation after the disciples. And Polycarp mentors a fellow named Ignatius. And Ignatius lights his generation on fire. So the repercussions of the ministry of John not just exceeds his generation, but the generation after him and the generation after him. And that's not even some of the things that the Bible tells us about John. It says that he is the son of Zebedee. And when they talk about him in, in the book of Mark, it says James and John, which tells us that John was the youngest brother. That John may have been among the youngest of 
the disciples. And that they were in the fishing industry. And that his mother's name was Salome. And there's many people who believe that Salome was the sister of Mary. Salome was at the garden when Jesus raised from the dead. And, and so they believe that Salome perhaps was the sister of Mary, which would mean that John was somehow related to Jesus. Interesting, isn't it? And so they had this fishing industry. And there was another couple of fishermen that kind of hung around them, although I think that they were different. There was Andrew and there was Peter. And it seemed like Zebedee and his two kids were a little bit more successful at fishing than Peter and Andrew was. How do you know this? Well, because if you take a look in John chapter 18, where Jesus is being led to the inner courts uh, where the high priest is, Peter can't get in. And that one of the disciples who knew the high priest, who had a good in with the high priest, came in, got permission, and then Peter had to come in. And they believed that that was John. And they were wondering, how does John have such an in with the high priest? Well, by, I believe it was probably, and they, they seemed to believe that Zebedee was so good at doing his fishing that he had an in with some of the higher up individuals in the community. Isn't that interesting? Peter and Andrew didn't have that in. I don't think that Peter was a good fisherman. Every time you talk, they talk about Peter fishing, Jesus has to help him out. Isn't that true? So this is all interesting stuff, things that kind of have a, a lot to do with it. And, and uh, so John's life shows something important. I believe John shows us that if you passionately love Jesus, then you can become part of the inner circle. And that was the one thing about John. He was part of the inner circle, James, John, and Peter. Remember reading, if you're reading the scriptures, you will see that he had an in which many of the other disciples didn't. When Jairus, the daughter of Jairus, was being prayed for, he was there. Transfiguration, those three were there. The Garden of Gethsemane, he takes them apart to pray. He's the first one to the cross. Or sorry, he's the first one to the grave. And when Peter passes him and goes into the grave, it says John went in after and it says, and John believed. John was the very first person to, very first person to believe in the resurrection. He was at the cross he has entrusted Jesus' mother to him. Like this guy had the inner circle. If you want to be part of the inner circle, passionately love Jesus with all of your heart. I believe that God opens doors. I believe that God does great things in your life if your number one passion is to love Jesus with all of your heart. So not only, not only that, he had, he had these wonderful things that had taken place. But he, before, before he knew Jesus, he had a reputation for being an angry man. When Jesus talks to him, he has a label for them. I'm going to call you bow energies, sons of thunder. That's what they were known as. That literally means rage, sons of rage. And there are times in the ministry where you kind of see that poke up with James and John. But somehow, through the ministry of Jesus, he goes from thunder to tender. And for those of us who suffer from anger issues and those of us who suffer from anxiety issues, let me just tell you that there's hope. Because John is important, but John is an example for us to live as much as we can, to passionately follow 
Jesus. So there you go. This is this guy that we're going to be talking about. You need to know these things about him because it's important as the story gets started. You may not realize this, but John, the book of John, has come under scrutiny over the past couple of years. There are many people that believe that really wasn't the Apostle John that wrote the book, but maybe somebody who a century later kind of made up this story about John, and it wasn't, it was, it's a good story, but it wasn't really an anointed scripture because it really wasn't John the Apostle that wrote it. And they're saying, why did this take place? What are you talking about? Why wouldn't John be the one? Well, take a look. Take a look at this book. All three of the other Gospels have a storyline where they talk. The style of John is absolutely and completely different than the way Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote the book. His style was different. Not only that, but 90% of what John says is not what Matthew, Mark, and Luke write about. There is not one parable in the book of John. You ever realize that? Not one parable. Jesus says, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. All those, those I am statements, seven of them, all in the book of John. Nicodemus isn't talking about a whole lot, but he talks, to, devotes a whole chapter to Nicodemus. Woman at the well, book of John. Lazarus raising from the dead, book of John. Not found in any of the other scriptures. Many people, many commentators say that the book of John is centered around seven major miracles that happen uh, and, and, and are talked about strategically through the book of John. Six of them are not even mentioned in the other Gospels. And so you begin to ask, hey, maybe there is some kind of credence to this, something that goes on. And, 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 and that's why certain people, certain uh, commentators will call it the Maverick Gospel. And so for this reason, many believe it wasn't John. But let me show you something. If I could show you. Mark was the very first of the epistles to be written. Probably around... 58 A.D. And within five years later, Matthew and Mark write their book. And there is a reason why they are writing at this particular time. All of a sudden, a generation has gone by. And somehow within the collective consciousness of the church at that particular time, Mark, Matthew, Luke say, we need to write down an account. We need to kind of let people know the claims of Jesus and what he said and what he did. We need to record these because we need to prove and show to the generations going ahead that Jesus was actually the Messiah. And so with that in mind, they had something specifically to prove, to bring as much as they possibly could, to record the life of Jesus, and to say that what he was saying was actually true. However, John, I don't know if you can see it or not, he writes his book in 85 to 95 AD. So you see that 30 years has gone by. Rome has almost burnt down. And Nero, in order to cover his own guilt, blames the Christians. And so the dynamic has changed. And most people who were eyewitness to Jesus are gone. 
all of the, of the disciples, the apostles, are dead. And there was a false teaching which began to arise within the people at this particular time. And it was the fact that many people were beginning to question whether Jesus was actually divine. And at the same time, there were a group of people that were saying he wasn't really fully human. And so on both sides of, of the continuum, there was criticism. And so John didn't have the need of saying, I need to preserve some of the things so that you knew exactly the things for generations ahead. He was dealing with a problem at that particular time, which was important for the people at that time and an important issue for us at this time. And so all of a sudden you begin to see the differences making sense. That God was trying to do something a little bit deeper and, and to begin to, to say, this is, this is important because I'm a witness to this. You might be saying all these things, but I'm just telling you, I was part of his inner circle. So that's why he says, I am a witness. Becomes important for what is happening, what is taking place at that particular time. It is crucial to the thinking. And, and, and that's why when you take a look, Mark, when he writes, he's talking to the Romans. And Luke, or sorry, Matthew, when he is writing, he's speaking to the Jewish people. Luke, well, he's speaking to the Greeks. But John is speaking to everyone, trying to teach something there. Now, basically, Mark, when he begins to write, he is basically saying that Jesus comes from Nazareth. You don't hear a whole lot about the accounts of his original birth in that. Whereas Matthew is different, has a big genealogy. He's trying to prove that Jesus came from Abraham. Now, Luke, he goes a bit further. Luke basically says, and he gives a genealogy, says that this, Jesus came from Adam. And John, he says, you know what? He came from God. He is God. And so each one of them have a different sense of where he is coming from. And so Matthew, Matthew begins to show some things which are different. And, and Matthew basically talks about what Jesus said. Mark will account for what Jesus did. Luke will account for how Jesus felt. But John accounts for who Jesus was. And so as you look at this particular passage, you see that John actually had an agenda which dealt with the fact that Jesus was God. You have to understand. You can get anything else wrong, but if you get this wrong, you will be wrong in every sort of state and way. And so, so this is why things are different. And this is why the, 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 the fact that, G, that John tries to full the, show the full deity of Jesus and the true humanity of Jesus in it, you need to know him based on the fact that he was actually the son of God. So let's read, if I could. Sorry for the huge, long introduction. But there's some important things in there, don't you think? And so in John chapter 1, it says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has, has not overcome it. The men, there, there was a man named, uh, from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came to witness to testify concerning that light, though uh, through him 
that might all believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world and the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He made to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or humans, our husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Pretty powerful statement when you come to consider what he was trying to do. If you take a look at Old Testament passages, it might be that John 1.1 may be the most debated in all of the New Testament. And so you can debate a lot of things. You can debate the things that Jesus says. You can debate the things that Jesus did. But it's hard to debate who he was. Because that's linked to our salvation. That's linked to who we are in Christ. And like I said, John is saying this. Listen, I'm going to tell you guys something. In the midst of all of your fighting and your baiting, he was actually God. Not only was he actually God, he was actually human in the flesh. So, as I, I kind of peel this apart, as I kind of put some flesh on these bones here, there are three things I think that it says. First of all, it will talk about God's identification. It'll talk about his intention. And it'll talk about his illumination. First of all, God's identification. Verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. John goes back further than any of the other gospel writers. And when he says, in the beginning, what he does is he links up John 1.1 with Genesis 1.1. And if you are a rabbi at that particular time, that says one thing. It made those people who are in the Jewish scholarship say this. God is eternal. He is God. And then it goes on to say, in the beginning was the word. And, and for us today, we kind of say, isn't that kind of weird that they say that? But not only was that word logos special to Jewish individuals, it was also understood as well as something specific to people who were Greeks at that particular time. Remember what I said, he was talking to everyone at this particular time. And so if you, were, if you are a person who is from Israel and you were a rabbi and you wanted to use the word to talk about some of the most intimate or personal aspects of God, you would use the term logos. Use the word. It was interchangeable. You see it in some of the writings of the, of the Jewish uh, leaders at that time. But for the Greek people, logos was the term to describe divine reason. It was the power that makes sense of the word. Now, the Greeks being philosophers and that talked about all these things. But when they talked about the fact that when you see all of these things which are happening in nature and the order of it, that is what is called logos. And so both people, both groups that, that were around at that time realized that it was God. And so when you take a look at the fact that we say it is kind of like the, the, uh, the, word of, the word, we talk about the word of God. And so really... When, God, when it talks about that, 
The Word of God is what we will call the revelation of God transcribed. But Jesus was the revelation of God personified. He was truly God before time even began. And he's talking about God represented in three persons. The second person of the Trinity. That's important. If you take a look at Mormon doctrine, they basically believe that Jesus was kind of the spirit brother of Lucifer. If you look at Jehovah's Witnesses, they think that it was Michael the archangel. A Muslim would say that he was a lesser prophet than Muhammad. But the reality is, is that he was the creator of all things. And that's what it goes on to say. Not only is he God, this aspect of the Trinity, the Son, is the creator of all things. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. God was the architect, but Jesus was the creator. If you read Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, For in him all things were created. Verse 17 says this, Before all things, and in him all things hold together. In three verses, God basically establishes something which is extremely important for us to understand today is the fact that the person who came down to earth was actually God. And that is something which is so incredibly huge in our mindset. Have you considered how big God is in the midst of the challenges that you might be going through? God's identification. He goes on and talks about light. God's illumination. And God talks, and, and, and John talks about light so much here that he mentions it seven times in three verses. He says, this is the light because I will be the light. I will be the one that will show you the way things really are. And the thing about light is it represents lots of things, doesn't it? Like it brings clarity. It reveals truth. It brings revelation. And it exposes things, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And so we see this throughout the scriptures. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, he says, you know, the world was in darkness, has seen a great light. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light. It is quoted in the book of Matthew as well, talking about Jesus being the light. In John chapter 8, he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 3, after he says, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Three verses later, he says, here's the thing. I am the light. Light has come into the world. But men hated light because their deeds were to be exposed. And so light can be a good thing. And light really sometimes can be a pretty harsh thing when it shows it in the light of our lives. For some it is good, for others it is bad. What is it for you? Are you a lover of the light or are you a hater of the light? I always find myself saying, God, can you put light on this situation? Con, can you somehow shine your light and give me some understanding as to what's going on? I'm sure we always have. And if you've served Jesus, there have been many times where you've asked God to light things up for you. We are living in a season, folks, where we need to see the light. And John basically is saying this. He is the light. You're going to actually get to know God. You need to go through him. Last one is this, God's intention. What is that that he's wanting to say? 
He's basically saying, even though I came from the flesh, I am the one that created the world. The world did not even recognize me. But to those who did, they have been given the right to be called sons of God. For God came in the flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt among us. He died for us. But he changed the relationship. The literal word there, if you take it and you read through it, says that he tabernacled. He came down in human form, dying for us. One of the last verses in the book of John, in John chapter 20, verse 31, says this. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. That message for those who are interested in knowing him, but it is also a challenge for us who do. So, who cares? Why is this so important? Why are you putting so much emphasis on something like this. Like, I'm just trying to make a mortgage. I'm just trying to earn enough money where I can pay a grocery bill. And my son or my daughter hasn't spoken to me in years. And I'm having problems with the person who is sitting next to me at work. And my life seems to be falling apart. And you're telling me something which I kind of know, but I'm not too sure what it matters in the light of the challenges that I face today. How does this resonate with me? Well, there's something profoundly significant that should give you joy and hope and should challenge you. That in the midst of everything, God, the Creator, cares, and he proves it with his life. In the midst of life's challenges, he desires to have you live in the light. The question I have for you today, who are here today, and those who perhaps are watching online, is this. Do you know the light? And if you do know the light, how is it affecting your life? I know there was a quote a number of years ago where a person said that the world is asleep in the dark while many of the church are asleep in the light. And there is a challenge to us when we see this message that God loves us and cares for us so much. There is something absolutely profound that extends further than you can even imagine. How deeply have you contemplated the realities and the ramifications that God, the Creator, died for you. I was uh, reading some articles. Um, came across an article that talked about um, organ transplants. <laughs> Isn't this about the book of John? How are you, why are you reading organ transplants, things like that? Well, these things are interesting. The article was talking about the fact that in the U.S. at this time last year, September 2022, the one millionth organ transplant had taken place. 
they don't know who it was or what happened, but they kind of figured that they could pass the, the, million, the million persons who has had some kind of transplant in, um, in North, in, sorry, not just North America, but just in America itself. And um, they talked about the fact that the first successful organ transplant occurred in 1954, 1954, in a hospital in, in Boston, and there was a, an individual, his name was Ronald Herrick, and he had an identical twin brother, and it worked. And, and the fellow Dr. Joseph Murray received the Nobel Prize for Medicine. But the article went on to talk about that, you know what, there really wasn't a whole lot of organ transplants until the 80s started to come. And they began to perfect the process, and they began to have drugs that were kind of like a, um, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called, the anti-rejection medication, and the rise of the transplants took place, and, and all of a sudden they come to the realization that last year, or sorry, two years ago in, in 2021, more than 41,000 transplants occurred. And then the article basically says, and even that, though that is wonderful, 5,000 people die waiting for transplants every year. And I began to think about this wonderful thing that has happened in the, in the medical world and how they continue to perfect it and how it's important. But we consider the spiritual ramifications that we were lost. We could do nothing to heal ourselves, but God comes. To be able to say to a person, listen, I'm going to give you this gift of life. I had a, a close friend who gave his brother his, his kidney, and he talks about a particular new thing, and, and there are many who here who have and know people who have had that. Um, and some of the transplants have been heart transplants, right? Well, the one thing about a heart transplant is this. There's not two of them. There's only one. So one person has to give up their life, or before they die, hand it over. And I think of the implications of the cross. That the blood of God was used to somehow breathe life and sustain you for eternity. I guess it's kind of old. I think it's something that we think about. But stop for a second before we get on in this whole thing with the book of John. Is that there is a God who came, and not just someone who was created, not the first one that was created, God himself died for you. God, I just pray that you will allow this profound truth that John is trying to get through to all of us to somehow sink in to our hearts. And what that means, means you cared for us, that you loved us in the midst of our troubles, God. You are there and you care for us and you love us. But you did something that we could never ever do for ourselves. And so now what do I do? How do I live? God, how do I go ahead and serve you the best way that I possibly can? How do I abandon my own pursuits and allow you to have your complete way with me so that I can draw so close to you that I can be in that inner circle? God, 
I pray that you will do something profound in our lives based on the profound thing that you have done for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's the first step. It's the first step in knowing Jesus. Realizing that there's a God who loves you so much that he took all the bad things in your life and washed it away for dying for you. Let's stand at this time. God, I just pray for the blessing upon each and every individual, Lord. I pray over this church that, that you will help us, Lord, to just passionately, passionately follow you. And not only that, God, I pray that we will be a church which is committed to seeing our children passionately, passionately follow you and our grandchildren to passionately, passionately follow you. So move in your way as the word of God is preached among your people, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please head over to BethelBrandon.ca to listen to our older messages or maybe connect with us and figure out how we can best serve you. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.